please remain standing for these words from the New Testament Gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter. As he came near and saw the city, he wept, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come when your enemies will set up ramparts around you. They will surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon the other because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Those days did indeed come for Jerusalem. In the year 70 A.D., the Roman armies surrounded Jerusalem, and after several days of intense fighting with Jewish zealots, they broke through the wall, ransacked the city, began to burn the city, and burned the temple to the ground. They did not leave one stone Upon another. Rewind a few years earlier, there is a young man living in the same city, Jerusalem, a man Joseph of Matthias, or Josephus. He is an impressive young man, well educated, well thought of, bright, precocious, some would even say charismatic. He has quite a reputation in Jerusalem, and when some priests are captured by the Roman military and hauled off to Rome in chains. Josephus is sent as a young man to secure their release, and he is successful. He brings them back to Jerusalem. At the age of 29, Josephus is appointed by the Jewish council to be the governor general of Galilee, which puts him in charge of securing the peace with Rome. He has the ability, quite impressively enough, to raise an army of 100,000 young Jewish men. But Vespasian, General Vespasian of Rome, has his sights set on Jerusalem. And to get to Jerusalem, he must go through Galilee. So Josephus and Vespasian meet in a small walled city in Galilee named Jotapata. At Jotapata, the Roman military surrounds the city, and for 47 days, Josephus and his men are able to keep uh, the military outside, the Roman military outside the wall. Finally, when Vespasian and his forces break through the wall, Josephus and 40 of his men hide out in a tunnel that leads to a cave. When Vespasian finds them and realizes that Josephus is in this cave, well, he wants Josephus alive because not only is uh, his name recognizable in Jerusalem, but it's also recognizable in Rome. So Vespasian sends word to Josephus and his men, Surrender, and I will grant you safe passage. Josephus likes this idea, but his men, Jewish zealots, do not. They would rather die than surrender to the Roman forces. And so they uh, plan and execute a plan 
to kill one another, one after another, and then the last person commits suicide. The killing commences. One soldier after another offers his neck to the next soldier in line until only two soldiers remain. Guess what? One of them is Josephus. Josephus and the other soldier decide there's been enough killing, and they decide to surrender to the Roman forces. Vespasian is good on his word. He does grant them safe passage. And Josephus lives out the rest of his days in Rome. But two things happen in the meantime that involve Josephus that I think are important for you to know. The first is that General Vespasian sets his sights on another small city in Galilee named Gomala. When his forces get to Gomala and surround the city, they almost immediately know where the weakness in the wall is. They storm the city immediately and thousands of lives are lost. Some say that Josephus told Vespasian where that weakness in the wall was because Josephus wrote about the details of Gamala's construction. Secondly, another thing that happened was in the year 70, the last part of the Jewish war, Vespasian's son, Titus, heads for Jerusalem and Josephus goes with him. And from his chariots, Josephus shouts to his fellow Jews, Rome only wants what's best for you. Surrender now and save what's left of the city. But those who were once Josephus' followers and admirers have now become his adversaries. And they see him as a sellout, as one who has betrayed them. Josephus is taken by Vespasian to Rome. He's adopted by Vespasian as one of his sons. And he lives out the rest of his days writing about Jewish life in the first century and rewriting the history of the Jews uh, for the Romans. Eugene Peterson says that in all of his writings, and really for Josephus, there are not just pages, there are not just books, but there are volumes. That throughout the volumes of his writings, Peterson says there's one underlying message. And that underlying message is Jews, don't be so Jewish. Rome holds the way of the future. Become a Roman Jew. But you see, to the Jews back in Jerusalem, Josephus wasn't a Roman Jew. He wasn't even a Jew at all. To them, he had become a Roman And yet I think this message that Josephus had um, for the Jews is a message that we hear similarly today. Christians, don't be so Christian. And we sit here in these pews excited about our faith, enlightened by our faith. But when we leave this sanctuary, probably in the not-too-distant future, someone will say to us, settle down. Don't be so Christian. Oh, it's nice to be Christian. That's sweet. That's endearing. We like that. But don't be so Christian. That's weird. That's strange. That's absurd. You know, some scholars say that not only did Josephus write about the Jews, but that he was often called into the Roman courts to tell stories, to entertain the Romans, the stories of these strange, absurd people called the Jews. Be faithful, but don't be so faithful 
That's weird. That's strange. That's absurd. And really, I have to admit, there's some truth to that. In the book, The Same Kind of Different as Me, and the book tells the story of two men who form a friendship. Both live in Fort Worth. One is a wealthy art dealer. The other man is a homeless man in Fort Worth. But under God's direction, they form an authentic, a true, a spiritual friendship. And Ron, the wealthy art dealer, who writes about their friendship in this book, at one point is talking about the beginning stages of their friendship. And he says, in the very early stages of their friendship, he took the keys to his new F-350 pickup, and he handed them over to his new homeless friend. The pickup was packed with all of his daughter's earthly belongings, and he gave the man a man a map from Fort Worth, Texas, to Fort Collins, Colorado, which is where his daughter had found a new job and a new home. As he handed the keys over, he said there was an angel on his right shoulder say, saying, Thank you, my new friend, for trusting me. And there was a devil on his left shoulder saying, Adios, sucker. Strange things, really. Absurd things. When David and I traveled to Africa a few years ago, we met a woman who was the head of an orphanage in Liberia. And she was the head of an orphanage not because she had a wonderful facility, not because she had a wonderful education, but because one after another she met, she came across orphans. And God's word to her was, take this one in. Take this one in. Take this one in. And there was enough food. And there was enough shelter. Strange things, really. Absurd things. I know in this congregation there are at least two of us who have brothers who come home early on Saturday night, musician brothers, to get up early on Sunday morning to be at the church at 7 o'clock to set up and lead worship. And I can't speak for the other family, but in my own family, that's strange. (laughs) That's absurd. I can guarantee you, if you continue in the life of the faithful, your life will be full of stories that Josephus would have loved to tell the Roman court. Oh, those faithful people. They're absurd. They're strange. And yet I feel it necessary to also give Josephus a break. Really, he recorded so much detail about first century life and Jewish history. And while some scholars would say that he was a propagandist for Rome and that he exaggerated uh, the geography of that particular time and place, Ray Vanderland tells his students that much of the um, archaeological finds in the last hundred years have proven Josephus to be true. And his harshest critics wouldn't call him a propagandist. They wouldn't call him one who exaggerates. His harshest critics would call him a sellout. And yet maybe Josephus was just a victim of his time, a victim of his culture. You see, by the second half of the first century, the Jewish zealots had pretty much taken over Jewish culture. And they acted like terrorists. 
there were no fewer than 24 groups of Jewish zealots. And they hid out in caves in the region, and they stockpiled their weapons, and they were ready at a moment's notice for revolt. And when they saw the opportune time for revolt, then Rome would come down and squash the revolt. And Rome, who would have us believe that they were enlightened, wasn't much better than the Jewish zealots. In the year 68, June of 68, Emperor Nero commits suicide. At the end of year 69, General Vespasian takes over as emperor. And in between those two emperors, there are three other emperors who take over in Rome. One after another, a new emperor, which meant one after another, more killings. One time after another, more killings. You've got to silence. You have to quiet the followers. And so the killings and the bloodletting didn't end in Rome at that time either. And yet we know that in the first century there was a group, a rabbi and 12 followers, who acted differently. In fact, we know of not one instance where they suggested or brought about violence. Oh, there was that one time in Gethsemane where Jesus is being uh, taken prisoner and Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of uh, the high priest slave. But Jesus' response to Peter is, enough. And that's the end of the violence. There's no more after that among Jesus and his followers. You see, when Jesus stands above Jerusalem and speaks the words that we read from Scripture today, I don't believe that he was casting some kind of magic spell over the city. But I do believe that what Jesus was saying is, Jerusalem, you just don't get it. You don't see the new thing that God is doing. You don't get the way of the new kingdom. And if you continue down this path that you're already on, it will only lead to your destruction. It's true that the kingdom does not force itself. The kingdom is not brought about by might or strength or violence. It's an early church theologian who said, force is not an attribute of God. I know what you're thinking. The church has often forgotten this. <laughs> and that's exactly right. We have the Crusades in Europe, the Inquisition in Spain, conquistadors in Central America, witch trials in New England, one instance after another where we try to take control, seize the power, take over, force the kingdom forward. But I don't care how big the gun, how powerful the words, how popular the blog, it doesn't work that way. You can't push the kingdom forward. You can't pull the kingdom forward. You can only go along for the ride. There was another man who wrote about the same time as Josephus. He wrote just a few years earlier. Much like Josephus, he came from a good Jewish family. A Pharisee among Pharisees, he said. Paul. But his writings are vastly different. Josephus wrote page after page, volumes. Paul wrote letters. Josephus wrote 
about his own military and political victories. Paul wrote to counsel, to encourage. Josephus wrote for history. And Paul wrote for community. See, there were two different ways in the first century, and there are two different ways today. We have a choice. And God won't force our hand. God won't make us pick one over the other. The writings of one man are still printed. I picked up four volumes in the library this week. They made for great bedtime reading. Put me to, quick, put me to sleep really quickly. The writings of the other man. Daily, they're still taught. They're still debated. They still live. Which way will you choose? 